Hey everybody, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. My intention for this podcast was to take some of my favorite questions and comments I get from listeners and respond to them. And I guess I kind of did that, but it was only one question. (laughs) And after a 40-minute answer, I decided to call it a podcast. So that's what I got here for you today. I do think it's a topic, though, that warrants the attention. And that is, uh, well, the topic is Steve Bannon, who is the chief strategist and philosopher, if you will, uh, for Donald Trump and the Trump administration. So, you know, his worldview matters, and that's what we're going to look at. Okay, so the question is from a longtime listener, Catherine from Arizona. And uh, before we get into it, I I just want to say that I love hearing from you, and you can email me at jeff at dailyevolver.com or send me a voice recording to that address. Or you can go to my website, dailyevolver.com, and on the right of the opening page, there's this vertical orange button that says, send Jeff a voicemail, and you can do just that right there. And one last thing before we get started. I do use a bit of jargon. I try to keep it to a minimum. But if you want to understand particularly the levels of development, of cultural and consciousness development that is so key to integral theory, you can go to my website, dailyevolver.com, and scroll down a bit. There's a section called About Integral Theory. Click on that, and at the top of the page are a couple charts that I think will really help you follow along and understand all of this better. All right. So this is the question from Catherine in Arizona. And thank you, Catherine. And I hope uh, I can shed some light on what is happening. Hi, Jeff. This is Catherine from Arizona. And I'd like your help with something. Um, Specifically, what I'd like is for you to help me understand Steve Bannon through an integral lens. Bannon seems to be the main brains behind Trump's remaking of the United States into a populist nation state. And his membership on the National Security Council seems to position him well to redefine America's engagement in the world. And I believe to move our country and the world backwards about a hundred years. So I'd really appreciate it if you could address his worldview through an integral lens and specifically the four tenets of his worldview. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Yes, Steve Bannon and particularly the four tenets of his worldview by which I'm thinking you mean the four turnings philosophy that he subscribes to, which is very interesting, particularly from an integral view. So we'll take a look at that. And this is some new stuff. I know I have talked about Bannon in the past, particularly in my podcast, Pre-Truth, Post-Truth, and Beyond. But I haven't discussed this four turnings stuff. And, and I think it's extra interesting in light of the current sort of I mean, for me, nauseating charges, tweets, whatever, that come from Donald Trump accusing Obama of wiretapping him. 
And in another one of Trump's amazing feats of psychological projection, he wonders if Obama is bad or sick. Ay. Um, anyway, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on the story itself, but you know, what we know right now is that, well, first of all, Obama couldn't order a wiretap, but that there are indeed rumors that various intelligence agencies were surveilling certainly Sergei Kislyov, which is the, who is the Russian ambassador and anybody he talked to. So if that includes the Trump organization, then that's where the chips fall. It does seem to me kind of suspect that Trump is going so far out of his way to discredit the two sources of information that could be incriminating, and that's the media and the intelligence agencies. But then again, that might just be what a good autocrat does as part of good autocrat hygiene. I just don't know. I just spent a couple hours checking in on certainly the mainstream pundits and the Washington establishment. And the consensus among these folks is that the tweets that Trump sent out this weekend are reckless and dangerous because they undermine the order of things. They they undermine the institutions that protect this country and hold it together. And I think that's true. And that institution destruction, or as Bannon puts it, the deconstruction of the administrative state is one of the key deliberate doctrines of the Trump administration. Which brings us back to the subject of Catherine's question, Steve Bannon. And so it turns out that Steve Bannon is very influenced by a book called The Fourth Turning which presents a philosophy of history that says that history moves in cycles and that each cycle has four seasons, if you will, much as the cycle of a year has four seasons. In fact, they call it the seasonal view of history. So each season is 20 years. So that adds up four seasons to an 80-year span, which is the lifespan of a human being who lives to old age. So they have actually mapped out the history of Western civilization according to this pattern, and it works out pretty well. And there's actually a lot to like about the theory, and you know, not least of which is that it looks for patterns in history, and I'm just a sucker for that. I think a lot of integralists are. We're looking for the new patterns, and I think they actually have identified one. They have also missed one, which I think renders the whole theory dangerous, and which I'll get to in a minute. But in the meantime, what, you know, what actually works and how they uh, overlay it on contemporary American society is interesting. Okay, so let's look at the four turnings, the four seasons of our generational cycle, which, remember, we move through collectively. The whole society moves through these together. And the beginning of our generational cycle, they situate at the end of World War II. World War II was the fourth turning of the previous cycle. And fourth turnings are 
ugly places to be. So uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, we start the first turning of our generational cycle, the end of World War II. And this is uh, just typified by the high that comes after a crisis era. So there's a new attitude. Things are on the upswing economically. People are feeling unified. In a funny coincidence, I received a message from one of my listeners last week uh, that was very well argued, and he was challenging something that I put on a previous podcast where I was quoting Barack Obama in one of his final speeches where Obama was arguing for the progress of history, as he does, and Obama offered this thought experiment. If you were to be reborn as a random American, would you choose to live now or sometime in the past? And the obvious answer for many reasons to me and most people, when you really think about it, is now or the very recent past, say before November 8th. But at any rate, what my listener, Frank, says, he, he, he writes, to answer the original question, I would choose to be born in the early 40s. This way, I would be too young to go get myself killed in World War II. When I did grow up, I would be living in a world of great prosperity, whether I had a high school diploma or an advanced college degree. By the time the Vietnam War came around, I would be too old to get drafted. All right. So, you know, I can come up with a number of arguments against this point of view, both economic and civil rights and cultural. And I made some and wrote back to him and I didn't change his mind. <laughs> but I get it. I mean, I get that idea that things are on the upswing. We're kicking into high gear. Everybody's in it together. And reading about this first turning of a new generational cycle and the upbeat, unified, emotional tone of that, I think I have a better understanding of the piece of the truth my listener was getting at. Okay, so now the second turning of this generational cycle, the second season in the four-season year of an 80-year cycle, is what they call the awakening turning. And this is characterized by a spiritual awakening, uh, an awakening to higher principles. And this came online right on schedule, according to them, in the mid-60s with the consciousness revolution of the 60s. And of course, this is my generation, the generation of the baby boomers and Steve Bannon's generation as well, although he is no friend to the baby boomers, whom he has described as the most spoiled most self-centered, most narcissistic generation the country's ever produced. And he blames the values of the baby boomers and the fact that we turned our backs on the values of our parents for the coming problems of the third and fourth turning. So let's look at the third turning. The third turning they refer to as the unraveling. And in this generational cycle, this started taking place in the 90s. Uh, it's uh, uh, characterized by a loss of faith in institutions, economic uh, instability, booms and busts, and people get really busy with culture wars. And think of, you know, the Clinton era in the 90s, it sort of fits. So the third turning has continued through the early 2000s and has culminated 
with the beginning of the fourth turning, which happened in 2008 with the financial crisis that the authors of the fourth turning predicted. They wrote the book in 1997 and predicted that the fourth turning would start in 2005 with an economic crisis. And okay, they were off by a couple of years. It was 2007. So that's pretty impressive. So the financial crisis then kicked off the fourth turning, which we're in now. And the fourth turning is referred to as the crisis period. And to quote Neil Howe, who is the surviving author of the book, uh, he's writing in the Washington Post just a few days ago. It's an interesting article. Uh, It's titled, Where Did Steve Bannon Get His Worldview? From my book. And I'll tweet it out so you can take a look at it. It's worth reading. So using his words, he says, the fourth turning, again, is the crisis period. This is when our institutional life is reconstructed from the ground up, always in response to a perceived threat to the nation's very survival. He goes on to write, Despite a new tilt towards isolationism, the United States could find itself at war. I certainly do not hope for war. I simply make a sobering observation. Every total war in U.S. history has occurred during a fourth turning. And no fourth turning has yet unfolded without one. And he points out that the fourth turnings of the last three generational cycles were marked by war, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and World War II, all of which were followed by a new era of growth and optimism, and the cycle repeats itself again. So as I said, there is actually a lot of, I think, intelligence to this. It it, it was well-received when it was published in 1997. Al Gore bought copies for every member of the U.S. Congress, and um, it was a popular book among liberals. I mean, Strauss and Howe coined the term the millennial generation and spoke of them in very laudatory terms. In fact, the millennials will be the generation that is in leadership during the next American high, the next first turning, which will kick in, according to this theory, sometime around 2030. So really, it's just this next dozen or so years that we have to worry about, where the shit is going to hit the fan, and we are going to experience, if Steve Bannon gets his way, the, quote, systematic deconstruction of the administrative state. And he means that both nationally and internationally with Brexit and the weakening of the EU and NATO and the rise of populist nationalism throughout the developed world. So, you know, it's all a little spookily right on schedule for a book that was written in 1997. And as I said, I do think it has a lot to offer. I mean, even if you look at the four turnings, the first two turnings are creative. There's the high of the first turning, uh, the awakening of the second turning, and then the third and fourth turning, the unraveling and the crisis turnings are uh, contractive and negative. And that's a sort of a basic polar oscillation that we see is just part of the basic makeup of the cosmos. As Whitman said, Out of the darkness 
opposite equals advance. I'm also, you know, basically a sucker for they they have sort it's not a spiritual quality, but they seek to embed this theory in deep history. And so they go back to the ancient conception of time as being circular, this idea of seasonal time. And they reprise a word that was used for thousands of years in ancient cultures like the Etruscan and the Roman culture, the, the, the concept of, this, of the saculum, which is the human lifetime, the good, long, well-lived lifetime of 80 years. And that a full life would mean that you live through all four of those. And that resonance is part of the substrate of the system itself. And I like that. It shows a desire to bring something that you don't run into that often in modern materialistic social science. And that is an idea of big karmic patterns that um, repeat themselves and integrate the interiors and the exteriors. Or to use Ken Wilber's integral aqua maps, it begins to integrate or wants to integrate the left-hand interior quadrants of reality with the right-hand exterior quadrants of reality. So, you know, there's nothing unintegral about this theory that posits that humanity arises in 80-year secula that are divided into four seasons that represent a cycle of creation and destruction. In fact, I think that can add to the granularity of our understanding of reality. And you know us integralists just love that. But here's what we don't love, or at least I don't love, about this theory. And what I think is its fatal flaw and what is ultimately, I think, quite dangerous in the hands of somebody like Steve Bannon, who is making very world-consequential decisions based on this theory. And that is, like a lot of these sociological theories you see these days, even including the Jonathan Haidt stuff and Righteous Mind, there's no developmental aspect to it. There's no sense that the cycles we're going through now are qualitatively any better than the cycles that people went through in the 1500s. So there's no idea that we're progressing as a species. There's no moral development. There's no consciousness development. There's no cognitive development or spiritual development that is taken into account at all. And it's not like they're just underplaying it or even ignoring it. Uh, in fact, they spend quite a lot of time in this book uh, making the case that linear time is an illusion and that the only aspect of time that we need to take into account is its circular nature. In fact, there's a section of the book called Overcoming Linearism. And of course, you know, they have a point. I mean, the idea that time is only linear and that we are on some great march to a triumphal end is the stuff of the romantic nationalism that brought us to the horrors of the first half of the 20th century. As they write, over the last century, the faith in progress has suffered many blows, perhaps none so devastating as Friedrich Nietzsche's early and devastating critique. 
Nietzsche believed that delusions about never-ending progress towards an unattainable standard had become a root malady of the Western psyche. This delusion, he believed, constituted a cruel vehicle of self-loathing, a spawning ground for hypocrisy, and a cage around the authentic human spirit. His invented prophet, Zarathustra, identifies the problem as the spirit of revenge, a resentment against history itself, against a one-way pilgrimage whose lofty goals keep proving mankind's actual condition to be one of contemptible insignificance. As an alternative, Zarathustra teaches the doctrine that every event is perpetually reenacted, that everything anyone does has been done before and will be done again forever. And Jesus, I can't imagine a more depressing philosophy than that. And I would just offer that there's another way to spin this thing. And why does it have to be either or? I mean, why do we, in order to develop an appreciation for circular time, why do we have to reject linear time? Why can't we have both? And at Integral, we do. We have linear time married to circular time, which gives us the spiral, which has been spooling its way forward linearly for the past 13.8 billion years since the Big Bang. And that is, I think, a far more inclusive and complete model of how things move. And incidentally, you can see in spiral dynamics that they chart out a movement. Now, in their case, it's a movement between stages of consciousness. So it's not every 20 years or 80 years. But they talk about the sequence of how values change, which creates a whole new stage of development, traditionalism, modernism, and postmodernism, for example. And that we start out at an alpha stage, which is a time of stability and congruence, comparable to the high stage in the first turning. And then there's the beta stage, which is a time of uncertainty, a gamma stage, a time of anxiety, and then a breakdown uh, and a new breakthrough after that. And these are roughly comparable to the four turnings. Except in spiral dynamics, there's a movement forward. There's a spiraling forward. Not so with the four turnings people. They're very clear. No linear time, just circular time. Things repeat over and over again. And so if you're running a country, then of course you consider that war is a, uh, you, you might consider as Steve Bannon apparently does, that war is inevitable. Uh, war with the Muslims is inevitable. That war in the South China Sea is inevitable because we've always done war. And why would we stop? Well, the reason we would stop is the same reason that, you know, we stopped cannibalism, even though it had existed for millennia, or human sacrifice, or animal sacrifice for that matter, which had existed for millennia, or slavery, which still exists, but now it's a crime everywhere that it exists. It used to be state policy everywhere. And those days are over. We have moved forward 
through linear time, we have progressed and that progress continues. And now what we're realizing that we want to be rid of is violence in general. And that is a marker of a fully modern worldview that violence is not the way to move your life or the life of your people forward. In fact, it causes more trouble than it solves. You know, conquering and subjugating and enslaving isn't all what it's cracked up to be. Turns out it's a lot of work. People don't like it. They resist it. And now in the modern world, there are just so many better ways to move the ball forward. So people who have a modern or postmodern or integral stage of consciousness development, center of gravity, they get this. And people who resonate more with traditionalism and the previous stage of warrior red culture, uh, they really don't get this. Which brings us back to the problem of being governed by two men at the center of power, Donald Trump and Steve Bannon, who have centers of gravity in important lines at pre-modern stages. Uh, we'll start with Trump. Trump is in many ways read in terms of, terms of moral development, in terms of some self-sense. I mean, he's civilized enough to be able to work in an orange and green container, but his, where he lives is at red. He's the bomb the hell out of them and take their oil guy. To the victor goes the spoils. This is classic red. It's how he's always lived his life. It's paid off for him. And it didn't matter too much to the rest of us until about a month ago when he got a hold of an army. Um, but I, I do note with some reassurance that whatever it was, a week and a half or so ago, James Mattis, the new Secretary of Defense, went over to Europe and Iraq to reassure them that we're not here to take anybody's oil and we value NATO. And it was interesting just the casual insubordination of that. And, and, and also the fact that you never heard a peep from Donald Trump after his Secretary of Defense went over and basically stated a doctrine that was the polar opposite of his own. So it looks like Donald Trump may be contained outside of his sort of Twitter character uh, by an orange container that he himself has set up. And that would be, I think, roughly equivalent to how he ran his business. He was sort of the crazy guy at the center, but he allowed people to run a, you know, clearly semi-organized ship. And then Trump's role is to be basically a bullshitter-in-chief in the sense that he is doing that sort of pre-modern thing of spitting the fantastical reality that everybody then agrees to live in. In the case of the Trump organization, we're the biggest and the best, the most refined, the best of the best, king of the hill, top of the heap. Pre-modern psyches resonate to great stories and, and bigger-than-life stories and great myths. So what's the great myth of the Trump presidency? And the myth he's weaving here as president is that he is the leader of a great movement, a great, great movement. 
<laughs> no, a very great movement. I love that his favorite adjective is very. I mean, I just love that. Anyway, a very great movement of people who are the backbone of this country and who have built this country into a place of safety and abundance and freedom, and which is under threat from people who are trying to corrupt it, uh, take it over, uh, whatever. And so that's the big super story. That's the, that's the great myth and some important aspects of truth that is behind this Trump movement. And Trump himself believes it, as do his traditional and warrior stage followers, which is, you know, he has a hardcore, probably 30% of the population. And they're going to resonate far more with the story of our leader being spied on in his tower. And it's kind of like that segment that Bill Maher does. I don't know it for a fact, but I just know it's true. And that's what we're talking about here. So I think we're seeing the Trump presidency come into form here. We're going to have him storming around the palace and the tower. And I mean this literally, people the palace in Florida, and the tower in New York. I mean, it's just perfect. And he'll be spinning, and by that I mean tweeting, this great tale of this great movement against this great enemy. And he's going to farm out the details to the adults in the room. Unfortunately, one of the adults in the room is Steve Bannon. And um, I talked a good bit about Steve Bannon in my pre-truth, post-truth, and beyond podcast. And as I pointed out, there's a lot that liberals can like about his anti-globalist agenda. It's like a joke that Trump makes behind the scenes about Bannon, is that he doesn't know whether he's alt-left or alt-right. But Bannon's economic nationalism is embedded in a deep ethnocentric sense of, well, ethnocentric means my ethno is centric, <laughs> you know, that my people are the people and my tradition is superior to other traditions. And that's what he thinks about Western civilization and the Judeo Christian tenets that it's based on. So it's not just a matter of saying that this tradition is precious, that it needs to be valued and preserved and integrated. That's more of an integral way of holding the value of Western civilization. But when you hold that at an ethnocentric stage, then it's about my tradition is at war because it has always been at war. And in fact, all traditional worldviews see that they are at war. And in one form or the other, they all have a basic teaching that there is a cosmic battle between good and evil. And for the traditionalist Christian or Jew, it is a cosmic battle specifically with Islam, which we have been fighting in one way or the other for nearly a thousand years. So when you wed that kind of, you know, deep emotional 
even romantic, spiritual, juicy uh, worldview with a theory such as the four turnings theory that organizes history into an endless wheel of creation and destruction, but no progress, no movement forward, then that's a dangerous place to be, especially when your theory shows you that we are on the cusp of a crisis. We are entering the fourth turning of this endless cycle. And that's always in the past meant war. If you believe that, you'd be remiss to not rise to the challenge and do whatever it takes to achieve victory. Now, you wed this guy, Steve Bannon, with the guy who has the world's largest military at his command, then you have a match made in, well, to me, somewhere other than heaven. And I know people wonder, you know, just how much influence does Steve Bannon have on Donald Trump? And has he just colonized Trump's mind? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we're as colonizable as, uh, as people think or as persuadable. I think to the degree that Trump understands Bannon's worldview or cares, he believes it himself. And so we'll just have to see if the larger container of government can contain these two guys. And by that, I mean, I think principally General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense. Uh, is he going to follow Donald Trump's cockamamie ideas of sneak attacks in the middle of the desert? <laughs> with satellites everywhere? Uh, <laughs> or is he going to, uh, with Donald Trump's full permission and cooperation, run a professional, modern, and postmodern military? As I said, I think Trump has basically signed on with this kind of an arrangement. And I think Bannon may have as well. I don't know. Uh, I think Bannon may think that uh, Trump is forth-turning enough He's enough creative destruction to drain the swamp and dismantle the administrative state and so forth, and that we won't need anything more violent than that. And I hope so, because we've got a few more months of this Trump presidency. How many, I don't know, because I truly think that virtually every Republican in Congress would prefer to have a President Pence. But that's not true of their voters who are in the thrall of this grand story of this great leader who has come to defeat the enemy and set things aright. Okay, well, I think that's enough for now. Uh, I think this story will continue, so uh, there'll be plenty to talk about in the future. You can find more of my stuff at my website, dailyevolver.com. I love hearing from you, so send me a voicemail, jeff at dailyevolver.com, and maybe I'll use it like I used Catherine's question this time. You can also find my work and in, in the work of Ken Wilber and, and a lot of other terrific integral thinkers on integrallife.com. They have a new site there. It's uh, well worth it. It's 100 bucks a year. And it is the preeminent site for the integral movement uh, on the planet at this time. So check it out.
And uh, I think I'll let uh, our dear leader play us out with an audio montage of one of his greatest hits called Take the Oil, live from the Red Warrior meme. Now, I do offer a trigger warning because this is Donald Trump. So if you need to put a pillow over your head, that would be the time. Or just stop. The podcast's over. Thanks, folks. Jeff Salzman here. See you next time. I would bomb the hell out of those oil fields. We'll circle it and we'll take the oil. And we should have taken the oil when we left. I would take away their wealth. I would take away the oil. What you should be doing now is taking away the oil. I've always said, shouldn't be there. But if we're going to get out, take the oil. If we would have taken the oil, you wouldn't have ISIS. If we're going to leave, keep the oil. Keep the oil. Keep the oil. Don't let somebody else get it. Remember, I've been saying for two years, attack the oil. Everybody said, oh, Trump with the oil. Trump. But I said more than attack it. I said attack it, take it, and keep it. So we should have kept the oil. But okay. Maybe you'll have another chance.